Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Real Life Oscar Challenge. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Mike Levito. It's also me, Lars Levito, Emerson, <laughs> Lars Emerson. <laughs> and me, Kathleen Levito. And we are here to talk about another year for the Oscars and movies and life. The year was 2006. <laughs> It was the year the Mets won their division, but lost in heartbreaking fashion in the National League Championship Series to those damn dirty St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, it was also the year that the Democrats took back the House of Representatives. Woo! Um, most importantly, it was the year that I turned 12, Lars turned 11, and Kathleen turned 10. And even more importantly, it was the year five movies were nominated for Best Picture. And those movies were Babel, The Departed, Letters from Iwo Jima, Little Miss Sunshine, and The Queen. And uh, we're going to talk about those movies right now. <laughs> Kicking things off with the happiest movie ever made, Babel. Directed by Alejandro Gonzalez Inaritu, uh, screenplay by Guillermo Arriaga, story by Alejandro Gonzalez Inaritu and Guillermo Arriaga. Starring Brad Pitt, Kate Blanchett, Gail Gar- Garcia Bernal, Koji Yakusha, Adriana Barraza, Rinko Kikuchi, and a lot of other people, actually. Um, Babel, it's one of those things where there's a movie where there's a lot of different storylines going on together. They're all kind of connected. Uh, Brad Pitt and Kate Blanchett are an American couple vacationing in Morocco. Kate Blanchett accidentally gets shot by this sort of shepherd's son who's just kind of messing around with a rifle that his dad just got. Um... So she ends up injured for a really long time. And she refuses to be a champ about it, you know? <laughs> she does. She does. She's really not cool. She's not cool at all. <laughs> Meanwhile, in Japan, Reiko Kikuchi, who is uh, deaf, is, is really bummed out that her mother is dead and that she can't get laid. And then... Uh, in... <laughs> when, you, when you put it that way, it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> and then in Southern California slash Mexico... Adriana Barraza plays a character who is taking care of Brad Pitt and Kate Blanchett's kids, and but also really wants to go to her son's funeral. Not funeral, oh my god. <laughs> I mean, it might as well have been given the, the, the tone of this movie. Marriage. Um, wedding is a wedding. Wedding is a marriage is a wedding, is it not? Uh, well, one gets whatever, you know what I mean. And takes them across the border, and, and bad thing, deleterious things ensue. Um, can you stop this thing for the GRE? Anyway, um... What did we think about this movie, Lars? Yeah. All right. So I'll start with the obvious thing that we were all going to say anyway. This movie kind of reminds me of Crash. Yes. (laughs) And it's structurally very similar. It's like everyone's tied together from an event, and they have to deal with, like, different policy and cultural implications because of this thing. It's more, like, global, and I think it's way better um, than Crash. Um, Most things are. Let me let me take it one storyline at a time. Because there are four. There are four storylines. Yes. Yes. Okay, there's the boys. The one boy, he wants to jack off. <laughs> and he, instead he gets a gun. And he shoots an American woman. And then he... <laughs> a lot of phallic imagery there. Yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> so... It's the storyline I actually feel like there's the least amount of time spent in. But, like, his, yes. his gist is, like, he shoots, da-da-da, and there's, like, a whole 
like crisis about this like who shot the woman and it turns out it's just this kid and he and his father and his brother they go fleeing um and that's like a good that's the good moment for that storyline it's like he finally confesses that he did something wrong and like takes the bu- fault because he realizes his father takes the bullet yeah his father and his brother are gonna get shot because he made a mistake well, his brother already got shot yeah there's that storyline <laughs> that one it's okay okay it's okay <laughs> Um, I don't like that storyline. Yeah, I'm just gonna interject. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> well, let's go storyline by storyline. Okay. On this yeah, let's one. Do okay. This. Yeah. That's my feeling on that storyline. I didn't like this storyline. I thought it was. I liked the fact that like the the it was like this kid who accidentally did this thing. They were just playing around with the gun, and when they go, let's shoot the bus. Oh, we shot a woman who was in the bus. I think that was creative. I didn't like. I didn't like anyone in the storyline. You don't really root for anything. No, like it's no. it's kind of just the storyline that ties it all in. It, yeah, it ties it all together and it kind of muddles the other storylines because you kind of forget what's happening because they keep on going back to this and you're like, what is going on? And you realize that their police system is terrible. By the end of the movie, it's the storyline you're most likely to forget. Yeah. It's kind of... Oh, yeah. yeah. Even also one that it opens with. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't really have a lot of feelings about it. Like, I don't know, man. It was just kind of like... Um, it's just, like, save your bullets. Like, it's already, like, implied that the gun is, like, hard to get and, like, all this stuff. I Yeah, I it's just one I really don't have that much feeling about. Um, and my whole thing with this movie in general is that, like, it's sad porn. It's, like, people being sad for the sake of being sad. It almost kind of feels like talking about death for the sake of it. And, you know, it's, like, this kid accidentally shoots a lady and then denies it a lot and then his brother dies for it like it's just a real huge bummer and i hope i never have to get arrested in morocco like that's that's my review okay yeah (laughs) next storyline is brad pitt and his wife yeah who's not she sucks she sucks (laughs) um she just gets shot and she whines about it the entire time um it's kind of heartbreaking, and it's Brad Pitt, so I'm like, oh, like, cool. Yeah. Um, he looks all grizzled and, like, really attractive. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, but it's, it's, like, I don't mind this one. I, I feel like this storyline is okay. You, you kind of, I don't know if it's supposed to be obvious or not. You get that this storyline connects to the children's storyline, which we'll get to yeah. last. <laughs> um, it's... I think it has good moments, mm-hmm. but I, I think it's just okay. Yeah. Yeah, this one's a solid okay. It, yeah, I, I've said this before where it's like I have issues with stories where it's just someone, people waiting around for someone who was injured to not be injured anymore is kind of like, not like my favorite kind of like cinema. It was like Brad Pitt screaming into the one telephone the town has. Yeah, and yeah. this movie kind of tries to force like a geopolitical issue yeah. in this one, mm-hmm. and I don't think it works. No. It's like, right. oh, the U.S. is ignoring them because there's a conflict in the Morocco or yeah. something. It's like, yeah. I don't well, know. Well, it's like they want to turn into like a terrorism issue. Right. Or, um, I don't think that lands. No, no. Do you Do either of you remember why... They're in Morocco. Just for kicks, On right? vacation? Yes, but do you remember why Brad Pitt decided they should go on vacation? No. It's because she had just... Kate Blanchett had just had a miscarriage. Oh. So they were like, let's go to Morocco and not... 
So, it, like, at the, when, when like it Bahamas. This will or... cheer you up, babe. <laughs> like, you live in freaking San Diego. Like, you I just go know. to La Jolla for the weekend? I don't know why, but, like, that's why, because it's like, when it first shows, I'm in that sort of, like, like sitting at, like, like eating lunch or whatever. And she's like, why are we here? And he's like, well, we're here. And they kind of argue about it. And then, like, um, when she's, like, her, her arms are, like, gangrenous or whatever. And she's like, crying about like the dead baby and he's like it's not your fault it's not your fault it's all okay basically they already have two kids <laughs> i don't remember the, her crying about that yeah also she, she's like upset and she kind of like mentioned something about the baby pro tips to any like future or current spouses out there if your spouse has a miscarriage and you're like let's go to morocco and she just went through this traumatic physical and emotional event and she's like i would really rather not go to morocco you don't fucking force her to go to morocco now that i think about it i don't know if it was a miscarriage it might have been like sids or something like that but the point is there was an infant who died um up there by the does kate blanchett die no no she's okay i think she loses her arm yeah Yeah. i think they amputate yeah but it for the majority of the movie it seems like she's going to be dead at the end. Is what yeah, I, I thought for sure she was going to die. I yeah. knew she was. That just seemed like how the... the she was too the, annoying to kill off. It just seemed like how it was all trending. Yeah. Would um, have been a big bummer if she turned out dead, as yes. we soon get to. Third storyline is the Japanese one, mm-hmm. th- which is kind of the least connected. Yes. It kind I of also explains... think it's the best. Oh, yeah. yeah, 100%. Well, I think it's the second best. Mm. Um, it explains... I'm just ta- I'm sorry, I'm taking the lead. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> it explains how the... How the Moroccan children get the gun. And that's really it. Yeah. Because it's like the main character, the daughter, is her father like gave the gun to him because he's like an important business. Well, he gave the gun to the guy who gave the gun to the, yeah, the pet yeah, yeah. dad. Uh, he's like a hunter who was out yeah. there and he gave the gun to them. As a gift because the one guy in Morocco was like his guide. Yeah. And the guide sold the gun to the, the father of the kids. Right. Yes. Um... What are our thoughts? I love this one. It's it's really good. Actually. I would watch like a movie just yeah, of this. Yeah. I phased out for most of the other stuff, but I was always like right there when this scene, like when this storyline was happening. It does like the most interesting stuff too, like the scene where they go into like the, the the club. Yeah. And it's like the like this like pulsing club, but then she's deaf. So then there's some shots where it's like there's no music at all because she's deaf, um, and you see it through her eyes and all of that. And it's um, yeah, it's good, and it's like. It it hits on, like, this sort of, like... I thought for sure he was going to be, like, a Yakuza guy. Because, like, the police kept, like, showing up. They weren't talking about... Want to talk about, like, his mother's death. Yeah. Not his... Her mother's death, rather. His wife. Um, it was the most... Yeah, it was, like... The, I, it was the one I, f- I felt the most emotionally engaged where She's, just, like, so sad. Mm-hmm. She just wants some kind of human connection. Um, so naked. Yes. Really <laughs> um... Yeah, I, I thought that was for sure the best one. And, like, yeah, I would watch, like, a full movie version yeah, of this. It, it's very lost in translation Oh, yeah. It was also, like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also yeah. Most, like, I think it was, like, the most visually appealing. Yeah. The, I think the audio was the best. Like, the colors were the best. I just think across the board it was... It's, like, quiet is why I feel yeah. it's very lost in translation. Mm. Japan-esque. Yeah. It's very, like, quiet and, like, you're supposed to feel, like, a sensation. Mm-hmm. And, like, she wants to feel isolated, too, right? And that's yeah. her whole thing. She's kind of... Yeah, kind yeah. of isolated. All right. <laughs> the final storyline 
My favorite. See, it's actually my least favorite. Because Interesting. hates children. <laughs> Interesting. Um, is, like, the housekeeper slash nanny for Brad Pitt um, and his wife is she's taking care of their children, um, and she's, like, a Hispanic... Ameri- uh, like Mexican what, immigrant. Mexican immigrant. Mm-hmm. Not... She's legal. No, she's, she's not. She's not legal. Yeah, she's right. an illegal. I don't... Is she she's not, not. I don't think so. She's not. Why? What makes you say Because that? the last scene, they're like, you've, you've been working here illegally, you're not a legal immigrant. No, yeah. oh, I and, thought they were... I didn't yeah. that. And then she says, like, but I made a life here, blah, blah, blah. And they're uh, just like, Ugh. Are you yeah. sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I thought yeah, it was yeah. because she broke the law by bringing the kids in without their parents. No. I mean, that was, like, a problem. That yeah. was a big no-no. Um, but it was because she is a legal immigrant. I think oh, this, you're right, you're right. Yeah. Wikipedia confirmed. <laughs> I, and, uh, I yeah. trusted you. I was there. Go on. She, like, Brad Pitt calls her up, kind of, you don't know it's Brad Pitt, but it's obviously Brad Pitt. At yeah. the beginning of the movie, he's like, we're not going to make it home. Like, you have to keep watching the kids. And she's like, I can't. I have like this. And he's like, too bad. I will pay for a new wedding for you. Bye. He hangs up. That's it. And she has to deal with this. And so, like, in the course of this adventure, she, like, tries to hawk them off on some, like, relative or friend None of them can do it. So she has to, like, drive with them to Mexico to the wedding. because She's not going to miss her son's wedding. And then, like, um, sexy Garcia Bernal has to, like, <laughs> he gets drunk and, like, tries to drive them back. And, like, border control stops them. And there's, like, he drives off and he's drunk and she's stranded in the desert with these children. It's very heartbreaking and terrifying. You feel like everyone's about to die. Yeah. Um, and I feel like of all the issues pushed in this movie... This was, like, the best one. It's, like, the border control people are really, like, dicks. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, like it, it's, it's kidnapped children. But, like, they're clearly, like, fine. Like, they're okay. Like, they're not... They're sitting in the back seat. They know this woman. Um, it's not... Yeah, it's not really that why border control are dicks. It's why, like, American-Mexican, like, border is a problem. And, and I feel... And, like, her being stranded in the desert, I feel like is... Very, I feel like this movie gets made today with that scene, and it's like, oh wow, yeah, that's what happens. Like we should, this is why this is bad. It's like, it it the, is interesting because I, I think it's a movie that's about like interconnectivity, and there is a very obvious flow of goods and people through the U.S.-Mexican border, especially around San Diego, and so it is interesting where it's like there's this kind of artificial barrier trying to prevent that and sort of prevent the connectivity there. Um, so that's interesting. I, th- I actually really like the scenes in Mexico. Like, I thought the wedding was, like, beautifully shot and all of that. Um, but, like, the part where she's just, like, walking around in the desert really sad for, like, five minutes, like, I get it. Like, it's sad. This is a, a huge bummer. And, like, it just made me so uncomfortable. And, like, and maybe that means it's effective. But, like, mm-hmm. I was, like, I... This is just, like, unpleasant, and I understand that, and, like, you don't need to keep reminding me how unpleasant it is, was kind of my feeling. And, like, when the, like, border control agent, Michael Pena, <laughs> no. oh, yeah, 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 shows up, like, at the, she, like, has to leave the kids in the middle of the desert, like, in the shade, but she's like, we're gonna die out here. She, like, finally, this is towards the end of the movie, she, like, flags down a jeep of border patrol and it's like michael pena and she's like there are children out there you have to go get them he's like nope you're going to jail and like you're just like so it is so distressed because you think brad pitt's gonna come back with his wife dead his children dead and like i don't know it's a very it, i don't know i i think it's my favorite what did you think of the mexico one 
Not a fan. Why? I just like have like obviously I had sympathy like it was her son's wedding you want to go but like <laughs> you illegally brought kids over the border like you're asking for trouble you trust your drunk nephew to drive them back you're asking for trouble there was no like there's none of this was logical it just was and then the the like the what is this the sexy whatever guy yeah, rings a chicken in front of the children that was fucking <laughs> that really disturbing you. that was very it's disturbing cultural it was it's rural it's you know I'm not saying that it's not wait for the sign pass. That happens places. That's fine, you know? If that's your culture, that's fine. But, like, I'm pretty sure he knows these kids aren't exposed to just dead chickens every day. Like, watching a chicken die. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't want to force my cultural <laughs> pr- privileged viewpoint on others. Whoa. Yeah. I go and kill chickens every day. No one thinks about <laughs> <like> me. <laughs> yeah. By my, like... <laughs> Like, Mr. Mr. McGregor does not like me. <laughs> Old McDonald. <laughs> my my like my like bottom line opinion of this movie is that like it's a movie about like fate and like chance and I really don't find that a compelling subject and it always feels contrived to me when movies do something like this and it just kind of feels like art house crash. It's better than crash. Um, but like, not by that much. It, it's, it looks better. It's, it's better yeah. acted. Yeah. And the dialogue's better. It's like, to me, it's the difference between, like, a Hallmark movie and, like, a Netflix original movie. Mm-hmm. You know? Netflix is I, I agree with that. Yeah. Netflix originals are never, like, great. They're just kind of okay. Yeah. Yeah. One almost one Best Picture this year. But okay. Uh, I didn't see that. <laughs> the, the originals That's, are good now. I feel like the yeah. original TV shows, it's usually, like, oh, they're not always. Like, House of Cards. Yeah. Um... Yeah, um, it's like if Crash were a lot better. That doesn't mean it's like the Crash is already a low bar. Yeah. So that's how. It's, yeah. it's art house Crash. Yeah, it's just it. Cra- if Crash was like fancy, and like wanted you to think about like foreign policy instead of like Race policing in Los Angeles or whatever. So it's it's okay. I don't know. It's just, I'm never gonna watch it again. I think is kind of where I, I would like about. never yeah. recommend someone to watch it either. Yeah. yeah. I was like, this is a movie that happens to you. You don't decide to engage in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> you start a podcast and you have to watch it. All right. Okay. Well, Babel, if we're done talking about it. Yeah, we uh, <laughs> It was nominated for editing. It won Best Original Score. Adriana Barraza, who plays the, the nanny, was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Renko Kikuchi was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Uh, it was nominated for Original Screenplay. Alejandro Gonzalez in R2 was nominated for Best Director and was, of course, nominated for Best Picture. Move on now to The Departed. Departed. Directed by Martin Scorsese, written by William Monaghan, based on the film Infernal Affairs by Alan Mack and Felix Chong, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Matt Damon, Jack Nicholson, Mark Wahlberg, Martin Sheen, Ray Winstone, Vera Farmiga, Anthony Anderson, and Alec Baldwin. Kathleen, what did you think of The Departed? You know what? What? I learned midway through this movie that I've seen this movie before. Uh, so that was a fun twist for me. Mm-hmm. You told um, us like ten times throughout the movie. You were like, oh yeah, I've definitely seen this before. And it was like the last five minutes. I'm like, yeah, we know. Because well, I didn't know if I had just seen scenes or if I had seen all of the scenes in chronological order. Um, that I, It was the latter. 
I, I like this movie. It's a movie about, you know, um, people in Boston who are cops and um, some unsavory folk, and that kind of hits, you know, all of the, all the right notes for me. That's what I'm going to say about this movie. Okay. Anything I'll, else? I'll have more later. All right. <laughs> I like this movie. That is all. Okay. <laughs> um, I... I think it's a little overrated. I, I, think that's I going into it, I thought I was yeah. the only one who's seen this before. I've now learned many times I have not. <laughs> um, like I knew Michael was gonna really like this movie. Mm-hmm. I I think I find Scorsese so he's just so like I always like what he does. Mm-hmm. I just find him so like is <laughs> the catchphrase I use like every time we have a movie like this, is like, it's a very internet choice. Mm-hmm. It's like, the internet loves this movie. Um, did you see today, on um, what Letterboxd did, is that they had sort of movies with the most fans, people identifying as she, her, and most fans identifying as he, him. Ooh. And, like, the divide. And it's like, Scorsese's definitely in the he, him. Yeah. And it's all, like, it's, like, it's all the internet classics are the he, him, where it's, like, Pulp Fiction, Blade Runner. Um, yeah. Uh, things like that. But anyway, go on. That that doesn't but surprise it, it, me. It's, That's it's kind of that my point. Yeah. Is I actually find yeah. Scorsese's films very like. Well, they're they're all mas- They're they're yeah. all about like masculinity. Yeah. Yes. Um, I don't actually really care for that that much. I think he does it really well. Mm-hmm. It's just I I'm not. I'm looking for a little more. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's not. There's like. There's like barely women in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> there is um, one, and I hated her. <laughs> That is a Thomas Corsese criticism. I realize I didn't describe the plot of this movie. Basically, um, Leonardo DiCaprio and Matt Damon. Matt Damon plays a criminal who infiltrates the Massachusetts State Police. Leonardo DiCaprio plays a cop who infiltrates the Irish Mafia. They engage in a game of cat and mouse. Loosely based on Whitey Bulger. Loosely based on Whitey Bulger. Um, it's about parallelism, the movie. Yeah, yeah. It's just like they have parallel lives that then intercross and like there's mm-hmm. a lot of There's a lot of crossing. Yeah. Um Yeah. It's a good movie. Um there's a lot of stuff that's done really well. I think it's shot well, I think it's edited really well, I think the acting's really good. Um Leonardo DiCaprio's really good in this. Mm-hmm. Um There are parts that are kind of funny. I like the funny parts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the funny parts. Um I just, I don't, I don't think it's, like, the great, I don't think it's a great movie. Like, I don't think it should have won an Oscar. Mm. Did it win? It did, yes. Okay. It was the first, it was a big deal because it was, Martin Scorsese finally won Best Picture and Director. This is my thing. I love movies about, like, brawny men being (laughs) brawny men. I like punching, and I like shooting, and I like people wearing earth tones, it's just very satisfying to me, and just, it's just, like, very just tactile, and I like it, and I like just living in that world of everybody is hurting everybody, like, I don't know. It's very cathartic for me. Um, and I think the way that they interwove storylines and such was, like, interesting and intriguing. I think at the end, though, it gets really messy and it stops being interesting because it's just, like, it gets to a point where the audience can no longer really predict what's happening, and I feel like that is more, like, kind of a letdown than a fun surprise, 
So I think that it gets to us. This movie gets to a certain point when I'm like really on board, and then it hits a point where it's just like, oh, God, okay, just just do the thing now. Like I don't really care anymore. It goes on a little long. Yeah. I think I think if it were less long, I feel this way about most Scorsese movies. If it were like half an hour shorter, it'd be pretty good. <laughs> and I could for sure do without the Leonardo DiCaprio and the one woman in the film having a relationship part. Vera Farmiga, who is also. Matt Damon's fiance in the movie. Um, <gasps> oh my! A lot, of, a lot of stuff going on there. Yeah. My so this is an interesting movie, I think, because I feel like so Martin Scorsese's comments about The Departed and it being the first movie of his to win Best Picture and him Best Director is that like it did so. <laughs> Cat almost fell over. Um, it did so because it's the first movie of his to actually have a plot, um, which I think is an interesting comment because like. If you watch, like, Goodfellas or you watch, like, Casino or, um, to a lesser extent, like, Taxi Driver and Raging Bull, it's, like, they're all, like, good movies and, like, you know, really well made, but it's, like, they're very sprawling and it's, they're less about, like, a plot and a story than they are about, like, an idea. Right. Which is usually about, like, caged up masculinity or, like, in the case of, like, Goodfellas, it's, like, the allure of, like, organized crime and sort of, like, how fulfilling that is and all of that, which... I find very compelling, and I really like. Um, but what I what I what I liked about this movie that I feel like most Martin Scorsese's don't do is that there's like Leonardo DiCaprio's character is just so sad, and he's so confused, and he's so distraught. And I thought that was interesting because usually what happens I feel like in Scorsese movies you get this character who like they might be like disturbed or whatever, but it's like they kind of become like in love with like violence or crime or something like that and then like they have it taken away from them and they kind of like and like the movie just kind of like on a on a down note and it's like that it's like it's just like the rise and fall of like great and not great men i feel like is a lot of scorsese movies but this is like leonardo DiCaprio. all he wants to do is be a cop that's all he wants all he wants is to have a sense of belonging and identity and then mark Wahlberg and martin sheen are like no you can't do that because you're too fancy and too smart. So we're going to have you go underground. Uh, we're going to have you, like, pretend to be this criminal. We're going to put you in jail for, like, a while. And we're going to give you, like, really confusing instructions. And it just bums him out so much. And he's so distraught. He just feels like he's used by not only, like, the criminal he's, he's working for, but, like, the police department he's actually working for. And I related to that a lot. Like, the scene where Jack Nicholson is staring at me, he's like, what can I, like, what value can I get out of you? It's like... I work a pretty crummy job, and I feel like, I feel that way a lot. I feel like Leo DiCaprio in that situation, where there's just people looking at you like, "What value can I get out of you?" And it's a crummy feeling, and I hate it. And I feel like this captured that really well. I I could agree that it's Scorsese's most like personal. Well, it's his most like. Of. I don't know if it's, like, the most personal to him, because I don't think he was ever an undercover but, cop. Like, but... about a person. Yeah. It's about yeah. people. And I, like, I, I think Scorsese... I think Scorsese works better when he's not about people. Hmm. I, I think he works better when he's about, like, an idea or a place mm-hmm. or a thing. I mean, the aviator's about a person. Oh, that's true. I forgot that was him. <laughs> oh! <laughs> <laughs> but even then, that's a movie about, like, obsession. And I feel like, like... I feel like in some ways it's a movie that, like, like I, yeah, the point is not necessarily, like, I think Howard Hughes, the point is more, like, 
Howard Hughes's like obsessive nature, his desire to like be the best. Yeah. Um, Around. <laughs> whereas this is more about like. Well, it's it, and it's also this is also kind of about like the whole Munich thing, where it's like it where it just becomes like blood for blood's sake, where it's like they really don't seem invested in like putting a lot of effort into Leonardo DiCaprio and like his his goals to like you know bust Jack Nicholson, um, and he's just, just kind of getting like you know sort of like jerked around a bunch um and all becomes pointless and then he dies um spoiler alert but um yeah that's what i got out of this movie i can't think of a lot to like compliment yeah. it from a cinematography standpoint if we're being honest Is yeah that, i'm not sure it's... that other than like the editing mm-hmm. that there's like, i'm not even sure i love now that I think about it, a lot of the acting—I think it's like fun. I, I, I like Leonardo DiCaprio's performance. He's really good. Matt Damon is like Matt Damon's pretty good. Yeah, he's I, good I, as... I find like the higher like Martin Sheen and Alec Baldwin. I find mostly comic relief. Yeah, because they just like do terrible Boston accents. Yeah, Jack Nicholson's like hamming it up, but he's good. Like he he feels like legitimately unpredictable and like dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um... So but does that's Mark like Wahlberg. Jack Nicholson all the time. It is, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't, but like, I'm not sure. Like, from a cinema state, like, I don't think they do anything cinematographically. <laughs> like, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not. There's not a lot of like, like new Bron- stuff. Yeah, it's brawny men being brawny men, mm-hmm. right? They're not trying for anything else. Yeah, it's, it's that's it, it. It's just it's kind of a thriller. It feels like very um, blockbustery. I think that's it. It, is, it, 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 it feels kind of yeah. less yeah. filmy. It feels more blockbuster. Yeah, I would agree. Which is like, yeah, I, 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 I don't agree. think there's anything wrong with that. But like, mm-hmm. let's call a spade a spade. Right. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't necessarily. It, I don't think it's like one of the best Martin Scorsese movies. Also, but I think it's still good. Um, yeah, Martin Scorsese. Good movie. I really wanted to give. Leonardo DiCaprio's character a hug afterwards. Anyway, um, The Departed was nominated for best, well, it won best editing, uh, one adapted screenplay. Mark Wahlberg was nominated for supporting actor. He is good in this because he just plays himself. Oh my God. And has a terrible haircut. <laughs> and he's just like the biggest jerk in the world. Uh, Martin Scorsese won for best director and it won best picture. Moving on now to Letters from Iwo Jima, directed by Clint. Eastwood, written by Iris Yamashita and Paul Haggis, based on pictures from Commander-in-Chief by Taramichi Kurabayashi and Tsuyoko Yoshida, starring Ken Watanabe, Kazunari Ninomiya, Tiyoshi Ihara, Ryo Case, and Shido Nakamura. Um, Kase. Kase, excuse me. It is the story of the Battle of Iwo Jima from the perspective of the Japanese, and basically how Ken Watanabe, who's a general or admiral, I guess, no, he's a general, ends up on the island to help command this army and fight this battle and realizes that they're really, really, really screwed <laughs> and basically just everyone coming to terms with how screwed they are in the face of the massive American war machine. Um, what did you think, Lars? You go first, Mike. Okay. <clears throat> I thought this movie... So, like, some Clint Eastwood movies feel just like a little off to me like his 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 like stuff from like the 21st century there's something about it that's just like a little off and like it almost feels like he's working from like a very like 90s sensibility sometimes um 
and it just doesn't feel quite up to date. Like I feel the same way about like American Sniper, which is a I would actually say is a good movie, and I also feel the same way about like The Mule, which I would say is not a good movie. Um, and there's something like a little off about it, and I feel like you don't get a great sense of scale when it comes to the battle, like. You're never like, oh man, this is a war movie. We're getting like blood and guts and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just a lot of people, and I, I don't think that's the point of it, right? The point is not to show you how huge and like crazy Battle of Iwo is. It's to show you how much it sucks to be a Japanese soldier and to be like wrapped up in this weird sort of like web of um, the whole like the the whole like code of honor and the like fatalism and the suicide and it, it, it's this like this sort of desperate situation they were in. And it's basically a movie that's just about, like, the slow realization that you are absolutely screwed and you're just not going to win. Um, And it's, like, really draining. Like, this is a long movie and it's very stark. It's very bleak. And not a lot of good happens in it. But, like, it's ultimately, like... It's ultimately, like, rewarding, I think. But there's something that's, like... Like, with a lot of modern Clint Eastwood movies, I think it's just, like, a little off. And it's just... Again, it's, it's just a slog. It reminded me a lot of The Pianist which I think is a good movie, but, like, The Pianist, it's, like, it's not about the fall of Warsaw. It's about the fall of Warsaw from this one guy's perspective, and that's what makes it interesting. Which is kind of the same thing. Like, it's not about Iwo Jima. It's better from this one guy's perspective, and that's what makes it interesting. And it, But it also has, I feel like it has a similar pacing, where it uses a lot of, like, fades and things like that, and it, it's paced sort of very deliberately over a long span of time. And it's, like, I feel like this is one of the most, like, the mo- one of the quietest war movies I've ever seen. It's mm. kind of unique in that, but... I, I could see this being like a play almost. Yeah. Yeah. I vibe mm. with that. Yeah. Um, I agree. Mm. <laughs> I'm not sure I actually have a lot to add. Um, yeah, there's definitely no like big scene. Like the closest you kind of get is on the beach, but you're really just from perspective at that mm. point. Um, also, I gotta say, the effects were not, like, awesome. <laughs> With, like, the battleships, they looked, like, a little fake. Compared to, like, the Thin Red Line or, like, Saving Private Ryan, which, like, Saving Private Ryan, I know, is considered, like, in a class of its own when it comes to war movies, but, like... Yeah. It it didn't look, like, super awesome, but anyway, go on. I feel like one guy bleeds out in a very unrealistic way at one point. <laughs> the guy gets, like, his arm blown off? Maybe. I don't know. There's like there's like a guy that like just like has like a faucet of blood coming yeah. out at one point or something. Mm. Um, yeah, I, it's hard to. It's it's. I I like it. I I. I yeah, I think it's a little off. Mm. There's like a it's like a little off. And maybe that comes from like a non-Japanese speaker directing a Japanese movie. Mm. Yeah. I think that's impressive. So no, I actually it think yeah, it's a totally very impressive feat on Clint Eastwood's part. Um, um, <laughs> um, I think he's a very good director. I hope he finally gets to meet the chair he loves. <laughs> and <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, but yeah, I think you're right. Like most of his 21st century stuff just feels like a little bit off. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe it's because Paul Haggis collaborated with him, and I don't like Paul Haggis, but... That, I, yeah, I don't know. Um, uh, but, like, I think... Where I think this movie does well is, like, it tells a story that we don't think about. Yeah. It's like... like and it, it tells it kind of well. Um, 
with the you, you have to face like if there's Ken Watanabe's character, the general, and he was like in America for a long time, um, and he like befriended Americans. Then he's like, oh well, like obviously if America and Japan were to go to war, I would fight for my country, Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, yeah, he was on the losing side and the wrong side of that war. <laughs> dare I say, America was right in this instance. Um, but it's like I, f- I find that very like real. It's like oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm like, I'm not bold enough to say I would be any different. Yeah, if yeah, I were yeah. born in Japan in mm-hmm. that time, I would probably be the exact same way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it like does that well, and I think it, it's it also kind of like pokes at the Americans like a little, mm-hmm. um, with like you know the guys try to surrender and the Americans, the one American like shoots them anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's like that's pretty dark. I think it's kind of realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, so the same thing as Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, I, I don't think that's exclusive to Americans. No, no, let me no, be clear. Um, and I just think like telling the American story of this movie, which they do in another movie, mm-hmm. would be kind of boring and like self-aggrandizing. Mm-hmm. I find this side way more interesting. Yeah, because um, it's like the knowledge of defeat and like the knowledge of like despair um, and like pride. Whereas the American side is just like, yeah, we did it. <laughs> yeah. We raised the flag. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and the movie, apparently, I haven't seen Flags of Our Fathers, which was, Clint Eastwood released two movies in 2006, this one and Flags of Our Fathers, which is from the American perspective. Um, apparently, like, the movie's about, like, the legacy of, like, the picture yeah. and about, like, the press tour that, that, like, happened afterwards. Kathleen. You love this movie. <laughs> so, I haven't paid attention to a lot of this movie. I said from the beginning that I didn't want to watch it, and I asked many times if we did really, truly have to watch it, and of course we did. So I just, like... It's like, the the parts that I watched of it, I believe it's a good movie. Mm-hmm. You know? I'm not gonna say that if it was on again, I would pay more attention. That's probably <clears throat> a lie. But... It just, there was nothing captivating. And I think at this point in this, you know, exercise and this journey we are on, I'm really tired of World War II movies. I don't care whose side we're watching. I'm just tired. And everyone looks so sad in this movie. I just wasn't here for that. I just, it's, I don't think it was a bad movie. I think it was a movie that just did not speak to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that. It's interesting because I feel like in the past you said you do like war movies. I do like war movies. I think at this point I'm a little tired of World War II. A little tired of Which is fair. Out of I think it's totally. Are fair. there any left? Uh, we'll run into a couple. Didn't Mel Gibson do one? <laughs> yeah, Heartbreak Ridge. Ah, we'll have to watch that. Fuck. We'll run into a couple once, um, like Dunkirk. We'll have to watch. Um, oh, but that one's good. But like, <laughs> the, they become fewer and more. Like, yeah. there's some like set during World War Two, but like not as much like explicit World War Two movies. Yeah. Um, what I do think is like, I do think uh, the Japanese, yes, like kind of like what you said, the Japanese side of the war is I think little discussed in like Western media, and I think part of that is because, well, two reasons. One is that like. They're really not super uh, contrite about what happened and actually kind of deny a lot of the bad stuff they did. Um, and also, like, the uh, it makes me think of uh, the Captain America comics in the 40s. And I remember, like, watching a documentary about them. And they were like, the thing about Captain America is that, like, they would show him, like, punching Hitler and punching Mussolini. But, like, 
the Japanese soldiers he fought were either bucktoothed or fanged. And it was like, instead of being like, these are like other people who are being led by like a evil government um, or whatever, who like, you know, are caught up in it just like the way, you know, someone might have been like drafted into the Wehrmacht or whatever. Like, there was this idea that they were like, oh, they were just like this total, this like barbaric race that was like bloodthirsty and evil. And um, they, they, they hated us and, and we hated them and we had to kind of like blow them up so um i think this is like you know i think in some ways this movie is like an attempt to like humanize the the japanese side which i feel like i feel like there have been like movies that have like humanized you know german soldiers or italian soldiers or whatever but you don't really get that um with uh with letters from Iwo Jima. Or yeah. with, with, with Japan, what I'm talking about. You do get that letter from Iwo Jima. Which makes it interesting when you think about, like, Clint Eastwood's political views that this would be a movie he makes. But he, like, really digs Japanese stuff. I yeah. Know. It, this movie does have a very Asian sensibility. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, we get, we get on letters from Iwo Jima? Yeah, we good. All right. It was... Uh, it won sound design, was nominated for original screenplay. Clint was nominated for best director, was nominated for best picture. Let's move on now to Little Miss Sunshine, directed by Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris, written by Michael Arndt, starring Greg Kinnear, Steve Carell, Tony Collette, Paul Dano, Abigail Breslin, and Alan Arkin. Uh, Little Miss Sunshine is the story of a family, and they have a daughter, played by Abigail Breslin, and she is really into child pageants and wants to be in one and she, she got this, this kind of like last minute invite to a competition in California they live in New Mexico and so they all have to travel in this giant VW van to get there um, which includes like the, the the kind of ornery grandfather and the suicidal recently institutionalized uh, brother of Tony Collette and they're a dysfunctional family and they all kind of learn to love each other on this road trip um I'll start because this was my first time seeing this movie. You both had seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, I like this movie. It's good. Um, it's I think impressively written. Like I think of like the dinner table scene a lot, where it's like I think it's like when when you, when Steve Carell first comes to the house, and they're all sitting around the dinner table, and um, you get so much exposition from that conversation and the, the last we will talk about it, I feel like they didn't do a very good job of communicating exposition in like an interesting way but like with this like I think it's just such like a it was such a great way where you got a sense for all of the characters and what they were going through and like why they were there and then it also introduced the central conflict in like a pithy way and I thought it was just like really well made and I like really respected it from that regard I think Steve Carell is really good in this mm-hmm. movie um, it's also quite funny the one thing I will say is that I think that um, it takes, it's a short movie, it's like an hour and 40 minutes, but which I'm thankful for at this point because we've watched a lot of long movies for this, but I think the length actually works against it on some level because I feel like Steve Carell goes from like suicidal and depressed and kind of like resenting the situation he's in to like you know what I'm gonna like do everything for this family I'm with now I feel like he goes through that process like a little too quickly um and I feel like there's like a little like stuff happens like a little too quickly 
But other than that, I think it's a really beautiful movie about family. I think it forces it to happen. Yeah. I think this is a very realistic movie about family. Is it like they all kind of get trapped together in a very small space for a very long time? Mm-hmm. Not that long, but like for days. Um, and they have Someone to, say it's long. They, yeah, they have to go through like struggle and death. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like all trying to pursue their various dreams and all realizing that their dreams aren't going to work for them. I think every character, except Alan Arkin, because he dies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like the mom. Um, I, feel, that's, I, I feel like the mom never really communicates dreams. No, she doesn't. Like she, we she never get a sense for what she wants. Yeah, she's the binder. Yeah. yeah. She just um, wants her daughter to be happy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and she gets that. But like everyone, like all this, you know, the dad has his dream of being like self help famous self help writer. Yeah, yeah. Um, he like screwed the ten over. steps of success or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, Abigail Breslin wants to be this like child pageant star, and like I don't think she knows that this doesn't go her way, but like it doesn't really go her way. Yeah. Um, and the family like steps up to take care of her, and like so she's not embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Um, the son wants to like join the air force and he can't because he finds out he's colorblind in the car. <laughs> um, I find that scene like very real. I don't know how you guys were as teenagers, <laughs> but I was definitely like closer to that son than I was anyone else. Obsessed with Nietzsche and taking a vow of silence. Uh, not that far, but like I was definitely like there was yeah. Um, I didn't really, like, cursed loudly a lot and ran in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> um, I, I think this is just, like, the one of the best written movies we've seen over all of our years so far. I think the dialogue's really good. I think it's, like, really snappy, but in, like, a casual way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's fun, but also serious. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, like, means something, and you feel better. It's very momcore. I feel like moms really like this movie. Um, but, hey. Yeah. That's a good thing. Well, the, the dialogue, um, I think it's interesting you bring that up, because for next year, we have to watch Juno. And I feel like a big criticism of Juno was that, like, it was written in this very, like, deliberately, like, hip way, where it's like, no one actually talks the way that, like, Juno talks. Whereas I feel like the... Not that there was, like, hyper-real dialogue, but, like... It was funny while it still managed to seem like pretty like realistic and enough yeah. like too much of a stretch. Yeah. Kathleen. Speaking of moms, <clears throat> I watched this movie with my mom for the first time like maybe like ten years ago. I don't know. I was like a young teenager. Um, and I really liked it then. I really oh, I was in high school. Yeah, so maybe like I don't know, eight years ago. I really, really liked it when I saw it. The one thing that pisses me off about this movie to no end is I hate the song Super Freak. And that's, 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 that's such a just like, you know, it's the climax of the movie. Mm-hmm. And so I can't detach this movie from that song and I hate that song so much. But regardless of that, I really just enjoyed it. I thought it was like a great, when I first saw it, I thought it was like a great just like tale of family and I thought that everyone was very colorful and everyone was very real but unique. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything felt very tactile and um, it was like good and then watching it again made me realize it's actually the third time that I've seen it um, I picked and then again the second time I watched was also in high school but the third time that I saw it which is this time 
I picked up on more of like I remember the dad wanting to be like a self-helper I forgot that Steve Carell was suicidal and that hit me stronger like the fact that like him feeling like holy I don't want to be part of this like in the beginning like what have I just been dragged into this is terrible what is happening Mm -hmm. and like having been in low places in my life before I can feel that struggle and you're just like I guess we're just doing this today um but then also like being able to sympathize with like Tony Collette's character who's like trying to keep everyone happy and trying to like you know be do the best she can for the people she loves um uh, like the dynamic between the father and um, Abigail Breslin, how she's kind of like fat shaming her, mm-hmm. um, that like struck me. I feel like he should have gotten like yelled at more for that. Oh, 100%. <laughs> but like that is very real to me, having someone who's gone through an eating disorder. So there's like a lot of things I realized in this movie that like strike me in very interesting ways. The ones that don't are like the grandpa. And, like, the son is not so, like, you know, didn't relate to him the as much. The so funny, though. He is very funny. Um, it's terrible his music. But I like this movie. <laughs> and I to speak to your point about it being short, I, it does, to, I talked about Hallmark Channel movies earlier in the podcast. It feels like a Hallmark Channel movie length, where it's, like, you have this story that's, like, slightly complex. Don't make fun of Hallmark Channel movies. Sometimes they have complex storylines. But they move through it at a very like at a very consistent pace. Mm-hmm. There's no really points of sticking or lingering or anything like that. And I think for a movie that has the tone like this, has characters like this, I think it works. I think I don't think it's supposed to be too much about any one character in particular. We're supposed to see too much of a turnover. I think it's supposed to be more of like the collective mm-hmm. and seeing the collective come together. Um, so I think that it works nicely with that speed. And I think for a movie that hits in so many places and has so much like weird, quirky stuff going on, I think the shorter the better because it provides less time for it to become unrealistic. Yeah, that's a good point. It it doesn't, I think, go in a lot of directions. Like when you hear the word like indie movie, which I feel like this is kind of like, it's like, it's very yellow. There's a girl with like big glasses. It plays a Sufjan Stevens song, like... When you think of, like, indie movie, I feel like this, like, is kind of, like, the quintessential one for, like, the 2000s. But it does it never, like, romanticizes its, like, the suffering of its characters. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very, like, it, it's, it's very, it, it, it almost it's, makes it's, fun of the suffering of its right, characters, yeah. which is a nice change of pace. Yeah, and it's not, like, overly stylized, like, say, a Wes Anderson movie. And I like Wes Anderson, but, you know, he's got a very deliberate style. Um... I also think the whole, like, fuck beauty pageant, like, message, you can kind of, I was like, oh, you can kind of see it coming from, like, a mile away, but I think this, like, is so much more relevant now than it was then, because I feel like, I think of, like, so, like, this was before, like, 2006, like, I guess Facebook was around, like, this was before Twitter, before Instagram, before Snapchat, um, people were, a lot of people were still probably using MySpace, but, like, this is, like, a huge, like, anti-social, like, not like the like they didn't really know what social media was, but like it's a huge kind of like the popularity game. Yeah, the popularity game, which is what social media is, and so I think this is like kind of prescient in that regard, where it's like fuck the beauty pageant, just kind of do what you want, figure it out. Um, yeah, so I think it is pretty uh, pretty relevant still. Um, That's why I like Abigail Breslin's character. I like yeah. that her she ran on this of just like she didn't know. Mm-hmm. Like, that she was supposed to be anything other than what she was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's just so charming. Mm-hmm. And that, just, like, looking back on, like, 
having to talk on your point about it being like, you know, fuck social media, having kind of grown up with social media and seeing all of those phases of how you get trapped in certain things and how you get pressured in certain ways and how even if you're not engaging that much in it, that there are things that like projected at you all the time. Um, it's like, and how I have come personally to use social media is just like, I'm going to share whatever I want and it's going to be weird and it's going to be me and like, that's it. And so I feel very connected to have a co-presence character of just like a, oh, I didn't realize we were supposed to be doing something specific here. I'm just, I'm just going for it. Yeah. Another thing too is like, I feel like you talked about like kind of making fun of your suffering, but I feel like it's never cruel. Yeah. And it's like, you could like definitely make this version of this movie where like Alan Arkin's just like a total dick and like not nice, but like he loves his like granddaughter so much and like is kind of like shaming of his son when she's like fat shaming her his daughter and like is just so like loving and stuff that like it really sucks when he dies and yeah. like it's 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 nice that like you know this sort of like heroin addicted like really vulgar dude is like the most loving and sort of caring person um it's cool i like that kind of role reversal um yeah i, I think i would agree with far as like most well-written movie like I love how when it shows, like, it shows Tony Collette, like, driving to pick up Steve Carell and she's smoking. Um, and then she's, like, denying to Greg Kinnear that she is smoking on the phone. And then when they get to the house and they're eating dinner and, like, in a stressful situation, she, like, pulls out, like, the fudgesicles and just starts, like, chomping on fudgesicles. Like, this, like, cigarette, like, replacement I thought was really great. Um, and, uh, yeah, according to the screenwriter, you know, it's a movie about people who come from separate places, but by the end they all end up on the stage together. Aww. <laughs> so, yeah, it it uh it works really well in that regard. Uh, Little Miss Sunshine was it won original screenplay. Abigail Breslin was nominated for supporting actress. Alan Arkin won supporting actor for like thirteen minutes of work, um, and it was nominated for best picture. All right, last but certainly not we weast certainly not weast. <laughs> the Queen, directed by Stephen Frears, written by Peter Morgan, based on Death of Diana, Princess of Wales. <laughs> Uh, starring Helen Mirren, Michael Sheen, James Cromwell, Helen McCrory, Alex Jennings, Roger Allen, and Sylvia Sims. This is the story of the British royal family and how they deal with the death of Diana, Princess of Wales, specifically how actually they don't deal with it, and how this came in the face of like a wave of modernization in Britain. Um, especially coinciding with the election of Tony Blair to Prime Minister and his relationship with the Queen. Woo! Tony Blair! <laughs> Fucking love him. Might be a war criminal, but... Hey, he was trying to stand by his <laughs> friends. Um, what did you think of this movie, Lars? I really liked Tony Blair in this movie, <laughs> Michael. Um, I No, but I actually think that's the best plot line. It's like Tony Blair trying to, like navigate the balance between like being the actual person elected to lead the country and like trying to like it's like it's like it's like the pain of like wanting to like not have the monarchy be as much of a thing is tagging on is like begging on him but like his history is like also pulling him this one way and he's trying to just like so desperately pull a compromise together is so tony blair and i love it because tony blair is so like that he's just so like he just so desperately wanted to do the right thing. Like, even when he did the wrong thing, he was just, like... I believe, like, deep down, he, like, really thought, like, America needs our help. We should do this. They've asked us. 
we're just like we're their oldest we're a friend mm-hmm. um and i i think he tried he never like tries to make an enemy in this movie he, he goes out of his way to really like maintain the balance um and like and trying to ex- like explain to the queen and to the royal family like this is why you have to do something mm-hmm. um and he also tries to explain to the people like this is why they're doing this and he, he tries he's like it's like this Jesus fake. No, I'm just kidding. It was like this intermediary between the people and the, the monarch. Right. And it's and it's like this great challenge between modernization and like tradition, like you said, and he's sort of like in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, I don't think the queen is in the middle of it. I think she's clearly on one side of it. And I think, but I think Tony Blair is the one who actually has to make the decisions and like do something. Um, other than that, <laughs> um, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. What do you think of it? It's a solid okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Michael Sheen. Mm-hmm. Just one of my favorite people. He can do no wrong in my book. Place Tony Blair. Yeah, for those mm-hmm. wondering. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of what I liked about it. And the rest of it, I realized, like, wow, if that's how the Queen of England is, we would not get along. Um, I'm so glad we don't have a queen. Yeah, <laughs> like super. The more that I watch this movie, the more I'm like, wow, monarchies are a really harmful thing. Because you take children mm. and you, like, like for an, an individual, mm-hmm. right? Mm. You are basically raising a child to basically, like, you have no individual life. You are being, like... You are being cultivated, you are being bred to feed into something bigger than yourself, and that's like incredibly dehumanizing. And I realized that while watching this movie, and I really hurt for the queen. Um, I didn't sympathize with her, but I hurt for her. And that was kind of what I thought of this, is that Tony Blair was awesome and super cool, and I don't like monarchies. <laughs> it's interesting because I think the whole point and, like, the Queen's argument in this movie is that she views her monarchy as, like, a service. Like, it's, it's her job to set the tone of the country, to keep the stiff upper lip, and to, to, to be the calming voice, which is why she was so reluctant to say anything about the death, because she, in, as a member of, like, the greatest generation, was reluctant to... She, she, she thought it would be more comforting to people so that just to see that she was standing resolute and being strong, but times changed. And they actually wanted someone they could sort of empathize with. They didn't want, like, this Churchillian figure who was going to, like, rouse them to victory. They needed someone who could actually, like, share in their grief. Um, Which is, I think, kind of interesting. I find the idea... I'm not a monarchist, but it's an interesting idea. Um, This movie, I think is also just kind of okay. Not bad, but not okay. The two things for me are like, okay. One, I feel like it has like a tonal problem where it... This movie, like, Tony Blair is just trying to convince, like, the queen that, like... Why are you laughing, Lars? No, I'll tell you later. (laughs) Tony Blair is trying to convince the queen that, like, this is really bad and people are really upset at you and they want to get rid of you. But then the score is, like, kind of playful... And the performance is kind of playful. What? It's like the opening scene, and it's like the queen, oh, yeah. and like it's like <laughs> Helen Mirren walks out as the queen, and it's like 
she looks at the camera and like it's almost like a wink. <laughs> like she's like staring directly at the audience intentionally. Yeah. Like at the viewer and she's like ah. And it's like the queen. So I think it's like doo doo. It's, like, it's very like uh-huh. the music is like doo doo. Yeah. I, I think the point is that like she's supposed to look like a lifelike portrait. I think was the point. But it's so silly. But looking. it looks a little silly. Yes. Um, and like we said, there's like a tone. And like thing is like I think Helen Mirren's a very likable actress. Um, but I don't know that she, like, I, I've never met the queen, but I don't know. She seemed almost too, like, a little too spry and, like, spunky to be the queen. Like, I don't really know. Um, she does actually drive Jeeps, though. She was a Jeep. 20 years ago. was. When she was 70, you're right. Oh, she was 70 in this? The the queen is, like, 90-something now. I thought she was, like, 60 in this. No. I mean, I believe No, maybe she isn't. I'm pretty sure she was in her. But 70s. she just looked a lot. The queen is currently 93. That's ridiculous. So and this was, was in 1997. So she would have been 71. Yeah. She's real spry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I mean, considering how, what she looks like now, mm-hmm. I believe it. Sure. Yeah. And I she guess. still has those exact same dogs. <laughs> <laughs> If only. Um, and my other problem <laughs> is I feel like Tony Blair warmed up to her maybe, like, it's kind of a same thing with, like, Limo Sunshine. I feel like he warmed up to her maybe, like, a little bit fast. Yeah. Where, like, his whole thing is, like, I'm the modernizer. We're bold. We don't need, all, we don't need these old fuddy-duddies in Windsor, Windsor Palace or Castle, whatever it's called. And, like, there's the one scene towards the end where, like, his, I guess it's, like, his press secretary, the guy who reads off the newspapers for him, <laughs> is just kind of like, oh, like, you see, you see these, uh this headline says like they really like you they really hate her and like tony blair gets really upset and he's like and he's like this woman is trying to uphold an institution that she loves and gave her whole life to and she has to now publicly mourn this person who rejected all of it and threw it in her face and like why can't you just like accept that and it's like and that's what they ever portray him as like an anti-monarchist but like i don't understand how he got to the point where it's like Diana was also bad is kind of what he says. I feel like there was a point before that he switched because I feel like I noticed it, mm. but I don't remember what it was. Yeah. I think he realizes that the weight of the entire nation is on his shoulders. Mm. <laughs> that could like, be. I don't want to, like, I don't want to overstate or overinflate Tony Blair too much, but I think he, like, realizes once he's, like, elected then this becomes serious. It's like, oh, this is not a time to, like, kid around. Mm-hmm. Um... There's, like, a serious threat. I mean, not really. But, like, there's, like... I have to be clear and concise and, like, do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. What'd you think of that headless deer? Oh, that was weird. Did you get... I, is this, I think it's supposed to be, like, a metaphor where it's, like, the deer has, like, a crown... And then they cut off the deer's head. And it's like, oh, it's going to be me one day. Just hanging upside down with my head cut off. I think was kind of like the metaphor. Oh. And like when I watched it the first time, I was like, I don't get this. But then I saw this, I was like, oh, that makes more sense. I thought it was predicting Brexit. Maybe. No, okay. <laughs> it's just been like... There's, the monarchy's weird. I just want to, no, I, I as weird. an American, I want to go out and say I'm oh. anti-monarchy. <laughs> when we were watching the scene where he has to, like, kneel the queen and ask to form a government, 
And Lars, you were like, did Boris Johnson like, have Boris to do Johnson this? had to go do this, I, like, the week before. I don't know, did he? But, like, so I don't actually know if he did, because if he... Because the conservatives still just had a majority, so he didn't have to ask to form a government. That's true. So I don't know if he actually had to do it. But did he have to, like... But he probably did. He I probably think, went and visited the Queen. And, and it was like, oh, and had to do the whole, like, <laughs> routine. Uh, she had to extend her hand and then, like, pull it away since it's Boris Johnson and he's probably all slimy. <laughs> yeah. Um, this just, it's wild. It's wild. But yeah, I feel like this movie didn't take itself as seriously as it should have, I guess, I think is my critique. Yeah. And most of the time I think it did. It's just it didn't at weird points. Yeah. And it kind of, yeah. that was silly. Yeah. <laughs> I like Jim Cromwell as, like, the really, like, ornery Prince Philip. Just like hates everybody. Oh, he's so he's so he's mean. so annoying. He hates Diana so much. Um, yeah. Okay. That that's it for the Queen. Yeah. All right. Well, it was nominated for costume design for score for original screenplay. Helen Mirren won Best Actress. Stephen Frears was nominated for Best Director and it was nominated for Best Picture. Okay. The year is now two thousand seven. You are a voting member of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. You get a ballot, and for Best Picture, listed is Babel, The Departed, Letters from Iwo Jima, Little Miss Sunshine, and The Queen. How do you vote? Michael. Yes, I'll start. Yeah, how do you vote? I think I'm going to go with The Departed. I called it. I knew this would happen. (laughs) I I liked it. I'm, I'm on the same page as you guys where it's like, I don't think it's... It's a good movie. I think... I don't know that, like... There's been a movie kind of like it nominated since where it just kind of feels like a crime movie for the sake of being like a crime movie. Just like a cool movie where people are just running off guns and stuff. Um, I liked it. I feel like it's the one I got the most out of. Like I said, I related to Leonardo DiCaprio's character. Um, I like the performances in it. I feel like it's... I, I feel like a lot of movies kind of like chase this afterwards. We got so many like crime movies set in Boston after like this and Mystic River... And I feel like this is probably the best of them. Like, this and, like, the town, I feel like, are the best of them. So, um, yeah. I get that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to give it to Little Miss Sunshine, um, a little predictably. I just, I think it's the best made. Like, I don't, like, the, I think it's the best, it has the best acting. I think it has the best writing. Um kind of think it has better shots than The Departed. I think The Departed is my second choice. Mm-hmm. I think I would give it Yeah, that. I think Loma Sunshine's my second. Yeah. Um, Le- Letters from Iwo Jima is also good, but I don't think it's as good. Um, the... I just think Little Miss Sunshine has more things than The Departed. Mm. And it's shorter, but it does so much more. <laughs> I kind of... I don't know. I, it gives me a lot more feeling in a lot less time. Interesting. And I think it looks... I think it looks better. Actually, yeah. I'm not sure I like how The Departed looks. I think they both look good. Okay. But I think The Departed looks glossy. Yeah. The Departed, to me, like... It, it, well, I think it's a very, like, 2000s-y-looking movie where it's glossy. And it's it's all about, like... I feel like a lot of 2000s movie, it's, like, very much... Like, you're in, like, a control room during, like, the War on Terror, I yeah. feel like is the feeling. Yeah. And then the rat crawls across the screen at the end. Yeah. It's like, oh, come on. Yeah. I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does the Scorsese things I love where it's, like, he uses some archival footage. 
There's one shot that's just like a still shot of like a photograph. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. It's got those little flares. But it's also like, I don't know. I talked about it extemporaneously a lot, so. Yeah. I won't, I won't harp on it, but. Little Miss Sunshine. That's my pick. I'll go Little Miss Sunshine as well. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Why? Yeah. Screw you, I like Mike. that the best. Okay. <laughs> that's why. Why did you like it the best? I just did. It was touched it's me. The... It made me feel things. Okay. <laughs> My allergies are acting up, so I Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, well, are there any movies that came out in 2006 that should have been nominated that were not? Yes. Okay. Which one? The real one I care about. Because High School Musical was ineligible, as Michael told me before the break. <laughs> um, Casino Royale mm. is, like, the best James Bond movie. And I think, like, brawny, fancy men doing fancy, shooty things. Casino Royale. Mm-hmm. And Casino. <laughs> and there's gambling. Yeah. And there's a woman in it. Yeah. So take Eva that, Green. Scorsese. Love Eva Green. Um, Casino Royale is really good. Mm-hmm. I would definitely put that above Babel. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, otherwise, I think the Academy did a good job. Yeah. It was an okay year. Um, yeah, there's, like, a lot of comedies. Casino Royale is good. Uh, the Prestige... The pursuit but, of like, I don't think it's actually like a great movie. I've the, the, I've seen the Prestige once and it was on a bus, so I don't really know how good it is either. Um, I'd have to watch it again. It's very convoluted. Marie um, Antoinette, but it's fun. Uh, Pan's Labyrinth came out this year. Oh yeah, um, Pan's yeah. Labyrinth is a really good movie. Um, it was nominated for like it, it was nominated. I think it, it might have been the most nominated movie or one of them because it was nominated for like all the technical stuff hmm. and for like best foreign language film but it didn't actually end up winning that but uh Pan's Labyrinth Guillermo del Toro great creature effects really bummer story about the Spanish Civil War but with like through the lens of a fairy tale and that's kind of it like the one that shakes the barley is like kind of cool but eh. um yeah the second Pirates of the Caribbean movie <laughs> It's like fine, um, but as far as like stuff that actually not for best picture, it's just just kind of that. Night at the Museum came out this year. I know that's a favorite of yours's. I like I that, love movie. that movie. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good movie. Um, Everything in the museum comes to life at night, Michael. <laughs> it's a ground groundbreaking concept. <laughs> um, in any you see on the list, Kathleen? No. Okay. Well, good job, Academy. Yeah, good job. Not <laughs> too much to come. Well, uh, it was like an okay year. Um, but thanks so much for listening, everybody. This has been an episode of the Real Life Oscar Challenge. Um, you can follow us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, iTunes, SoundCloud. Visit our website, thepostwriter.com. We have writings on there. Uh, Kathleen and I have another podcast. 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 apparently. Other podcasts on there. A couple of things like that. It's about Mad Men that's on there. Uh, I'm Mike Levito. You can follow me on Letterboxd at Ameramike and on Twitter at Amlevito. I've been Lars. You can follow me on Letterboxd at Lars Emerson. I'm Kathleen. You can follow me on Instagram at Rise to the Sun. And we've been the Real Life Oscar Challenge. I realize I stopped explaining the concept of the podcast at the beginning of the episodes. 
In case you haven't caught on, we're doing every Oscar nominees of our life, every best if picture If you haven't caught on, so. what you need to do right now is stop and go all the way back to the beginning. <laughs> Listen to all of them. All of them again. Listen to them twice. Even the ones where I screw up the mic placement. Um, thanks so much for listening. And uh, check the horns on your buses. What? Because the horn gets broken in the bus and keeps honking. Oh, yeah, driving. Yeah, a little bit of sunshine, your favorite oh. movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> and don't do heroin either. That's bad. Hey, everybody. This is Mike. Um, so I was just sitting on my couch catching up on Succession, and I was thinking about what a great episode we had just recorded. But then I was like, you know what? There was something that seemed a little off about that ending. I don't know what it is. And then I finally realized what it was. And it was that I didn't tell you guys what's going to happen in the next episode, which is the thing I always do. Now, if you've been listening to the show, or if you're even just passingly familiar with the concept of the show, I think you can guess what it is. But just in case you're not, of course, next episode we will be watching the Best Picture nominee of 2007. And those movies are Atonement, Juno, Michael Clayton, No Country for Old Men, and There Will Be Blood. So uh, tune in next episode to hear what we think about all those movies it's a good year i think uh, i know there are at least two or three movies there that i really really like so i'm excited to watch them talk about them and i hope you uh, decide to to watch them too so uh sorry about the little misstep sorry i was derelict of my dudes i do a lot of the show off the top of my head i should really write some more stuff down it's, it's the curse of a good memory really um but yeah thanks so much for listening and uh see you next time